Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to gather with you under the Word of God, and I was reminded on the drive-in that the snow is such a fresh reminder of the covering of the Lord Jesus' Christ, Lord Jesus' righteousness for us. Now, I was looking at the tire tracks, and just it's a picture of how man messes everything up and makes a mess of everything, but the snow will continue to fall, and by the grace of God, if man doesn't mess up the spots, it will cover up with white again, and uh, it's a beautiful picture of the purifying and atoning work of the Lord Jesus for us in our place. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are starting a new sermon series, a vision series for us. As we start 2024 on beholding Christ and building his kingdom. We're coming up on 10 years as a church this year. I know it's probably hard to believe 10 years since we first gathered in our living room up on Levi Howard Road. And as I look back across the history of our church, I can see different phases, different ways that God has chosen for us to Uh, emphasized areas of growth. And so we have said over the life of our church that our mission and vision is to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. And in our first planting phase, we had a great emphasis on the mission of God as it pertained to evangelism and a great emphasis on seeking God by his word and by prayer. And so we emphasize a lot on what it looks like for us to be disciples in our pursuit of God and to make disciples through evangelism. And I pray we never lose our passion for seeing those far from Christ come to repent and to believe the gospel. But in our most recent phase of growth, the Lord's, I think, taken us deeper into maturity, that our understanding of the mission of God has expanded to emphasize what discipleship looks like in everyday life. And so rather than um, mainly only emphasizing seeking God individually in his word, we've emphasized a lot of things like family discipleship in the home and what it looks like for us to live out our lives in godliness. Um, in <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching David walking around. Um, we've, we've emphasized what it looks like for men to be the godly leaders of their homes and for wives to exercise their roles in being wives and mothers and what it looks like for us to practically obey Jesus in everyday life by the power of his Holy Spirit. So now in this next season, I am praying that by the grace of God, we roll it all up and put it all together to press on into maturity so that we are building a church that will outlast us, so that we are laying a foundation that for a church to be here, that our children would love to take up the work of and to continue to build on the foundation that we give to them. And so how is this church going to be a pillar of the truth and a blazing light for the Lord Jesus Christ 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now in this community? And what kind of church are we going to hand to our children as a foundation for them to continue to inherit but also to build on 
what will this church look like 50 years from now? What will Brattleboro look like because of the ministry of this church? Because of our love and prayer and prophetic witness and faithful good works and courageous action. And if God gives us a vision for what that looks like, then how do we get there? And that's what this sermon series is all about, beholding Christ and building his kingdom together. So in honor of the reading of God's word, if you have a Bible, um, please stand with me. And we are going to back up and begin in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered under your word, some of us here, some of us home, but together one body to hear from you. We know that even now, everything in your word is spiritually discerned and must be given to us by your spirit. So we pray, open our eyes, help us to see and transform us by what you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, it had probably been two to three years since the crucifixion of Jesus. Saul, who was also called Paul, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by Gamaliel. He was a zealous persecutor of those who claimed faith in Jesus Christ. And he seethed with rage against anyone who would go against the teaching of the elders or the traditions of the Pharisees. And so in his zeal, he obtained arrest warrants from the high priest to go to Damascus to find any Christians he could so that he could bring them back bound to Jerusalem. We know he presided over the stoning of Stephen and Acts chapter 9 says that he was breathing murderous threats against Christ's people. He hated Christ and his followers. And nothing changed about that. There was no warm-up to his conversion. He was on the road to persecute Jesus and his people. And in a moment, he becomes one of them. It's in the blink of an eye, he goes from hating Christ and killing Christians to becoming a Christian and serving Christ. What happens? Well, the Lord Jesus 
resurrected in all of his glory, reveals himself to Paul. And it's interesting in that account in Acts chapter 9, other people that were with Paul heard the voice, but they, did, they themselves did not see Jesus. So this revelation of Christ was a supernatural gift from God just to Paul and not to those who were with him. And he saw Christ in a way that blinded him naturally, but opened his eyes forever spiritually. We know that he's, by the weight of Christ's glory, he falls to the ground and he knows whoever this is, is the Lord. He says, who is this? He says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuted. Who are you persecuting? Go into town and await for instructions. That is how Jesus shows up in our lives. That's how he shows up to non-believers. It is a miraculous gift of his grace where he opens their eyes to see him and he reveals himself as the Lord from heaven. And Paul doesn't negotiate. Paul doesn't um, say, I'll think about it. He goes into the town and he awaits instructions because his eyes had seen the Lord and he was miraculously converted in a moment. And all of it is because God set his love on Paul and chose to reveal himself to him. And because he saw Christ, he went in a moment from being the most zealous persecutor of the church to being the church's greatest theologian and missionary that we've ever known. Paul's conversion is, by God's design, a vivid illustration of how all of us came to Christ. Paul was one way and was going one way, and then Jesus revealed himself to him, and in an instant, he was completely different and going Jesus' way. And all of it was because he beheld Christ. So I want to go to our text in 2 Corinthians, and I want to begin our study of the text by highlighting the nature of gospel ministry and beholding Christ. So fast forward 20 plus years since Paul's conversion. So we're going from about Acts chapter 9 to about Acts 20, if you're using Acts as a timeline. He's been gloriously used of God. You can go read it in all of those chapters. He's gone on missionary journeys and has been used of God in the midst of much persecution and suffering himself to plant the gospel and to plant churches as God appointed. And now he's pinning his second letter to the Corinthian church. Now the context is that there are false teachers in Corinth who called themselves super apostles and they were attacking the legitimacy of Paul's ministry, saying that no one who goes through this kind of suffering and this kind of persecution, or he's so unimpressive in person, he, he can't really be one of the real apostles. And so Paul is making a defense of his ministry against the accusations of these false teachers. He's been saying things in chapter 1 already like, these afflictions have been from God. And he has comforted us in all of our affliction so that the Corinthians might know that God's affliction on Paul and his comfort were all for them so that they might experience the same comfort that Paul received from God in the midst of his affliction. He said that God sent these trials to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God. In chapter 3, he tells them that his sufficiency as a minister of the new covenant was not from himself, that his sufficiency came by the Holy Spirit who made him a minister 
of the new covenant. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And so he's highlighting the ministry that he has is a mercy from God, but it is God who has appointed him to this ministry. It's not, it doesn't matter what the false teachers are saying or the accusations of these other people that God knows he has appointed him as an apostle, and he has this ministry of apostleship by the mercy of God. But in the same way, now he's talking about being a minister of the gospel in a way that there is a way of being a minister of the gospel that not everybody is, right? The, your pastor's in the room. God has called to be ministers of the gospel in a way that the rest of the church for right now has not been called to. But in a real way, the entire church is called to have a ministry from God, to have a ministry that you've received from the Lord Jesus. He's given you spiritual gifts and a way of serving him and blessing him that is a real ministry. And we're going to get to that more in this series. But the question for us is, how do we take up life and the ministry that you have received from God as a mercy and not lose heart? So if you fast forward to the end of chapter 4, we're going to bring together these different ways where he talks about where he's looking. What, how does he not lose heart? So we see the same language again in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's saying in this ministry that you've received from the Lord Jesus or in our ministry as a church together this year, as we look to take up the ministry that God has entrusted to us, we will not lose heart as we, are, as we realize we are laboring for a glory unseen and we look to what is unseen. But step back for a moment and imagine that you've not heard this passage a thousand times. How do you look to what is unseen? The language doesn't make sense on the surface. We don't look at the things that can be seen. We look at the things that cannot be seen. He says the same kind of language later, but he explains in chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. So we are always of good courage. Again, not losing heart. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So this is the answer to how we do not lose heart and how we will go forward in the ministry that God's called us to together in 2024 and beyond in the years to come, that we will build the kingdom with courage and hope is if we walk by faith and not by sight. If we look to the things that are unseen and not to the things that are seen. And there's an important truth and principle to pull from this text that is going to shape the rest of our time together. It's that faith is spiritual sight. That is what faith is. So he's talking about looking to things that are unseen. He's talking about looking with faith, through faith, to God, to the hope that we have laid up for us in eternity. I'm looking to spiritual realities 
and I'm seeing them with eyes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have this faith that is this confidence, this assurance that God is who he says he is and he has done what he said he's done and all that he's promised has come true, is coming true. Everything that he's given us is actually ours. The things that he says are true of us are actually true. And we have this unshakable confidence as we look to him by faith. This is why scripture uses the language of your heart having eyes. So God giving revelation to you of Christ is him opening the eyes of your heart, enlightening you to spiritual realities that you could not see on your own. That is what revelation is. God opening the eyes of your heart so that you might truly see what you cannot see on your own. And biblically, we see by hearing. We see by reading. This is the nature of sight. We're, we're not talking about being able to see through these eyes. He's saying we're not looking to things that are seen, but we're looking with the eyes of our heart to things that are not seen. And another way of saying that is we are looking with the eyes of our heart in faith to what we see revealed of us in what we read, in what we hear. So the biblical injunctions to behold and to listen and to incline your heart are all the same thing. Saying, listen to me, behold me, look with faith to what I am saying and trust me, believe me. We see this from Paul in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So if faith is spiritual sight, then he's saying spiritual sight comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But this is where we see what a miracle this is. Because in order for people to have faith, in order for them to truly hear and to perceive the nature of their sin and their guilt before God and their need for repentance and their need for the salvation that God has supplied only in Jesus Christ, God must work a miracle. Jesus must show up on the road just like he did with the Apostle Paul or they will not see. The natural man before God works the miracle of revelation is natively blinded by his own sin. So he's naturally blind just by virtue of exchanging the truth of God for a lie and God giving him over to what he worships instead of God. Even what he could see of God just by God's general revelation, he's, he's blinded by his own sin. But we also see in this text that he's demonically blinded by the devil. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So man in his natural state is blinded by his own sin and blinded by the devil to keep him from seeing the revelation that God would give, to keep him from seeing the light of the glory of Christ that would, if they saw him in truth, 
they would respond in faith and they would come to him. And so there's a, a double blindness. And on top of that, they have no desire to see. In John chapter 3, we read that they loved the darkness rather than the light. So man in his natural state has no hope of seeing God. And one of the most devastating truths about blindness is that everyone spiritually who is blind thinks that they see. They don't know that they're blind. They're not trying to see. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man hears you preaching the gospel. Here's you preaching Christ. And because he is spiritually blind, but he thinks that he sees, he scoffs at what you say. He mocks. He thinks it's ridiculous. He thinks that you're a religious zealot. He thinks that you're a bigot. He thinks that the things that you believe are for people that need religion as a crutch and are blind to what the enlightenment has taught us. And it is only by revelation, by God removing the veil and giving sight by the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, that the, this veil, this blindness is taken away. That's why Paul has said in verse 2 that he has renounced underhanded ways the false teachers use. So he didn't minister with gimmicks. He didn't try to get people to see or try to get people to come to Christ by his own natural means or like the ways that the false teachers did where they would adulterate the word of the Lord with their own traditions and their own teachings. He refused doing ministry, this language means, by any means that would justify the end. So this is not, this is Paul saying, I didn't have some kind of seeker sensitive, I was going to do whatever it took just to get people to sign on the dotted line to get them to believe revelation is a miracle. What we proclaim is Christ and Christ alone. And if they're going to come to Christ, it's going to have to be a miracle that God works that's not conjured up by my own cunning, by my own creative ways of doing ministry. If people in Brattleboro are going to come to Jesus, God is going to have to open their eyes. And so we can sit here and try to scheme and think of all these different ways that we could try to get people to come to Christ. But if it does not revolve and center around proclaiming Christ as the treasure and the savior of their souls, they must repent and come to for life or they're dead in their sins and under the wrath of God, then they will not see no matter what it looks like on the surface. Paul preached Christ through the word. He resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says in the next verse that Christ and the gospel is a treasure and we are only jars of clay. That our lives are carrying cases for the gospel and channels of the life of Christ in every place. So Christ is our life and Christ is our ministry. We are not what's valuable about our ministry and the way that we preach and teach or share is not what is decisive in people coming to Christ. Christ is. 
And so this takes a lot of pressure off of the ways that you share the gospel because your responsibility is to faithfully proclaim and hold forth Christ and the true gospel without cowardice, without backing down, without apologizing for Jesus or apologizing for God and his holiness and his ways. You hold forth Christ and his goodness and his love and say, unless you repent, you will perish, but you can come to him for life. And if they come to Christ, it will be because God opens their eyes. We shared this example before, but you can go into a graveyard and tell everyone in the graveyard to wake up and to come to life. And we could take turns getting up and shouting as loud as we could over the graves, calling people to life. And you would feel so foolish and it would feel so silly. But the revelation of people coming to life in Christ is just as much a miracle as if somebody actually responded to your voice and came out of the grave. You have zero power to bring somebody to life in Christ or to open their eyes. But you have Christ and you can proclaim Christ and by the grace of God, some will hear his voice and live. And so if our ministry as a church, as we build the kingdom together, is if it's going to be real and produce what is lasting, it must consist of open statement of the truth of the glorious gospel of Christ. And we must rely on the work, God's work of revelation in giving people a faith that sees and a faith that comes to Christ. So this is the answer to the question, how did you come to life in Christ? Well, surely by the grace of God, he opened your eyes to see Christ and it was a miracle of his grace. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, like he did at creation, over the darkness and the void, when you were spiritually dead in your sin, and it was completely dark and void, not na natively blind, demonically blinded, loving the dark and wanting to stay in it, spiritually dead, darkness and void. God said, let there be light. And he's shown in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the face of Christ Jesus glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and you saw Christ and you beheld him and you came to life and so the next question for us is how will you grow in Christ and the answer is by the grace of God the exact same way your spiritual growth in Christ is just as much a miracle as your regeneration was your sight of Christ, even though it has been your breathtaking privilege since you came to Christ and you may have gotten so used to it, is such a miracle if you ever see him again. It'll be grace upon grace. If you leave this place, if you hear his voice today, it'll be grace to you. It'll be undeserved, gracious miracle from God. For him to open the eyes of your heart to see him again. And this is how he transforms you into Christ's likeness. By the mercy of God, he transforms you. Look at verse 318, chapter 3, verse 18. This is where we started. So if we began by talking about the nature of ministry and beholding Christ, here we talk about 
In faith, we must fix our eyes on the glory of Christ. That's how we're spending the rest of our time together. Verse 18, Paul says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm praying that we would be staggered by this mercy. That the living God has opened our eyes to see Christ. That you would know and remember just how blind you were and that he has touched you and healed you so that you might see him and behold him by faith. When you turn to Christ, the scripture says this veil was taken away. So your hardness of mind to God, your hostility to God. In Colossians, Paul says, you were hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. And he took away your hardness of heart and gave you faith to see him. And he brought you to life. And now by the grace of God, you have the privilege of beholding him every day. You have the privilege of seeing him. And according to his design, you become like Christ as you behold him in worship. This is God's design in all of life, that you become like what you behold, or you become like what you worship. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 115. You can see in verse 4 through 8, he's mocking the idolatry of the world, and he says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. This is the Bible's way of saying that you become what you eat. You become like what you see and what you listen to. So if, if faith is spiritual sight and we behold and see by listening and by hearing, you become like what you eat, like what you behold. So the question for us as believers is where are we setting our minds? And what are we setting our eyes on? What is our heart going out to? Before, all we had the ability to take in in our blindness was the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life and we were indulging the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind and were by nature's children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy said, let there be light and he's revealed himself to us and unveiled our faces to behold his glory and now we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth and even still having had the eyes of our hearts opened to be able to see Christ scripture commends to us praying that our eyes would be opened still further that our hearts would be continue to be enlightened so this is not just like a, a one and done revelation of God shows us Christ and we come to life and we're good we with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we are transformed from one degree of glory to another and we continue to go to him and we continue to gaze upon him and to see him. So that's why 
You can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at this prayer from Paul. Paul writes to the church, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So they've had this miracle happen. They've had God open their eyes to the glory of Christ, and he's given them saving faith in Jesus. He says, I've heard of that, but I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I'm praying that God, by his spirit, would reveal himself to you that you might know him more. I'm praying, verse 18, you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So, All of this comes by the same miracle of revelation. It is entirely of God's grace that he would reveal himself to us. And so I'm closing soon. I had other section of scripture I wanted to go to just to behold Christ together. But I thought I I want this to be the point. I want us to see this that just in the same way that the revelation of Christ to us at our conversion was a sheer, miraculous gift of God, your ongoing vision of Christ and the gift of him enlightening you to spiritual realities that belong to you in Christ, the, the passion that Paul had to know him, he said, I've counted everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ and I'm pressing forward to know him. But all of that would be vain unless God gave him the gracious revelation, the gracious sight of Christ. And in Christ, this is his gift to you. We can open our Bibles in the morning and we can pray and cry out, just like the blind man in the Bible, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me again. My eyes fail with longing one more day to see you in truth. But my prayer is that we would go and take this privilege that we have of beholding Christ in his word every day this year. And then as we open it, we could cry out with the psalmist, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Send forth your spirit again, Father, to give me true sight and transform me by what you see. And that we could this year walk the Emmaus road with the Lord Jesus. You remember in Luke chapter 24 when the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples and he's walking with them along the way. And he says, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And later their response was, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? That's what he wants for you this year. As you're committed to going to the scriptures that there is a way of reading without reading 
and seeing without seeing. It's why Jesus could look at the scribes who literally had all the scriptures memorized and say, have you never read where Moses said this? And he was indicting them, confronting them, that though they knew the scriptures on the surface, they had seen without seeing because they didn't have God's gracious revelation. And so my prayer is that we come to God's word with humility, with trembling at the privilege of getting to see Christ again and not taking it for granted that God would actually open our eyes and help us to see again. That we would not feel entitled to the revelation of God, but that we would be humbled and put on our face at the mercy and kindness of God. That not only has he given us vision of Christ in a way that has saved us into his kingdom, but it is our daily privilege to walk with Christ on the Emmaus Road and have him open the scriptures to us and our hearts burn with the revelation of Christ. He will open the scriptures to you, his disciples, in the same way to behold his glory there. And by the grace of God this year, we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another, from one degree of Christ-likeness to the next. I feel like we say this at the beginning of every year, but it's my prayer still. Don't you want to be more like Christ at the end of 2024 than you are coming into it? Don't you want to be more used of God this year than even you were last year? We're going to get into building his kingdom together and building his church. It's one way that we're going to become like him. We don't just want to talk about becoming like him ethereally, but if Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, then we want to grow to intercede for other people because that's what he's doing. And if Jesus is building his church, then one of the ways that we must become like him is to join him in building his church. But before we ever set about the work of building, we have to, by the mercy and grace of God, begin with beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ every day. And that Christ would not only be our vision, but the lens through which we see everything else. If all things are to be summed up in Christ and he is the heir of all things, then everything belongs to him. And we relate to everything through him. And so may Christ be our vision and the lens by which we go through all of life as we said about the work of building his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and glorify your holy name. I pray that this morning would be a reminder to us of the nature of spiritual blindness and how hopeless we were without Christ, without your gracious revelation. And still now, we are not entitled to seeing. And apart from your gracious revelation, we will not see. And so we pray with Paul, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ? Would you enlighten us to know the hope of our calling and the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And would you show us the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe? 
May we go forward with your blessing under your love and in your power to build as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Please free our lives of everything that distracts us from seeing you clearly. May we put it off and keep our eyes fixed on you. Going to you and listening to you by your good word. In Jesus' name, amen.